Hello and welcome back to the fourth installment of the Second Renaissance Podcast, where I sit down for our first virtual podcast, an interview with Dave Anderson, and perhaps fittingly, given that he is a digital evangelist at Dynatrace, certainly one of my favorite clients, but also one of my favorite people to spend time with on stage, be that in the analog world or in the digital world. Dave, as you find out through this podcast slash vodcast, is someone who likes to get his guitar out during corporate functions, who innovates and is a true believer in the power of technology to liberate us as humans. We see that the technologies that he believes in and that he's certainly a brand ambassador for actually makes human lives better. The technologies and the beliefs he has are able to ensure that humans can focus less on the mundane and more on the humane, can focus less on the menial and more on the meaningful. And throughout the podcast and the sit down that I have with him, he shares his journey of the challenges of quarantine in Australia as he made his move back from Boston to Melbourne and how even during quarantine, certainly there is some musical creativity. I give you Dave Anderson. Dave, uh, great to uh, have you on the show. Thanks, Anders. Welcome to the uh, Second Renaissance. Happy to virtually be there. Yeah, and we've just been rambling on about uh, robotic cleaners. I mean, (laughs) you're a a tech man, uh, obviously, uh, but... Tell me, uh, before we get into your life, we get to all things artificial intelligence and automation, uh, yeah. you're, you're walking your talk here, talking about a robot doing uh, some cleaning duties in your home in uh, Melbourne. Uh, what's the fascination, mate? Well, uh, I don't know. I don't know what my issue is with vacuum cleaners, but I tend to be fascinated by them. And um, automation is a pretty good topic because I do actually like the ritual of vacuuming but I also love the idea of a robo vacuum doing the vacuuming for me. And uh, this one brand that have just come out, D-Bot. I think it's D-Bot or we called it B-Bop with the kids, but um, we give it a name because it's, you know, it's a robot. And um, it has a camera on it. And so it can actually cruise around the house and do video at the same time, which I think is, I don't know what the fascination with that is and I don't know what actually why you want it, but for some reason I do. Yeah. So you're live streaming this as well? You're live yeah, you can live stream well? from your... So like you could be out at the pub, I guess, and you could be worried about someone breaking in and you just set your vacuum cleaner off and you let it go around and it can cruise around the house and like just, yo, you lost like a pen. Now I'm going to know where all those pens disappear to because my vacuum will find it. Um, someone did point out that it, it could be backing up, you know, video footage to the cloud somewhere and people then would have access to like all of your video footage of your house. But I don't think that's a problem because I think of things like, why do they really care what's underneath my couch? And I'm sure everyone knows I have a fridge. Um, so I'm not really that worried about it, but I'm, I'm pretty excited. It's arriving sometime today. And like all good things, when you do these podcasts, I'm sure it's going to arrive in the middle of our podcast. Yeah, so, so. minute 29, let's, uh, let's look out. So while, while other people around the world are, you know, getting out of lockdown and exploring nature and getting cool drone footage from the, you know, great outdoors in Australia or wherever it happens to be, uh, you're getting super excited about live streaming uh, 
the From dust the rats, as we call in uh, call them in Sweden, right? Yeah, I get. I, I don't know about you, but I've we spent. I was in Boston before this, and so we spent a long time in lockdown. And you, we did it in Melbourne too. I mean, you're in Sydney, so you, you haven't really. You don't really understand. But um, so for I can, us, people, I can empathize. Yeah, yeah. For us people that have been in lockdown, you you become a a creature of habit. Like you you really enjoy your tracksuit pants, and and I got nervous leaving the house for too long like the other day i was out and i was out for at least two hours and i was like i don't know what's wrong with me but i feel anxious and i really need to go home and so like the vacuum cleaner could also be part of the process for me to overcome my anxiousness of being out of the house because at any point in time i can just pull my phone up i can look at the video footage and go it's okay the house is okay it's waiting for me nice and it hasn't been hacked yet hasn't been hacked yet yeah be interesting to see what happens so, so I'm sitting here with um, Dave Anderson, who is a uh, tech evangelist. We're going to get back to this at uh, one of our clients at Dynatrace. And yeah. uh, you can already hear he is a tech evangelist, uh, automates what should be automated so that humans don't have to focus on the mundane, but can increasingly focus in, uh, in on the humane. And I'm welcoming you onto the show, which of course is the second renaissance or renaissance, as we might say in Australia, podcast. Great to have you on the show and welcome back to the country. Thank you. Great to, again, be here virtually. This kind of leads us to this idea, right? Welcome back. You know, as an expat, you've you've arrived back in 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 Australia, and you kind of timed things perfectly, right? You were in you you were in Boston earlier this year, uh, and uh, we had quite a few briefings uh, earlier this year. But just just talk us through what was the what was the experience like of moving countries from oh. you know Boston to to Australia in the middle of lockdowns in Melbourne, and 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 of course things not in the United States being that great either. Yeah, it. It was, um, I'd love to say it was easy. Like I've, as through my role and through anyone who's worked in technology, they know as much as you have Zoom and things like that, you actually spend a long time on the road. And so I've traveled extensively through the last couple of years, but the, the journey of getting flights back to Australia during a lockdown was really unusual and really like, I mean, this whole year, everyone will say like, something out of a sci-fi movie was happening. And, and one day I'm sure we'll probably tell our grandkids that this happened and the, all of we all got locked in our houses and the cities went quiet and everything shut. And it was really eerie. It's like pretty, pretty surreal. And so if that wasn't strange enough, I think then, yeah, trying to get back and then Melbourne Airport closed because they had a quarantine breakdown. And, um, and then, you know, we, we had to try and get flights back to Sydney and, and we were fortunate enough to book them pretty early on. So we made sure that we got business class tickets. So they were only allowing like 300 people into Sydney. So it, it was really touch and go. Um, packing your house up, moving into a hotel, getting shipping containers, even just getting quotes for people to come. And they were doing virtual tours of the house to try and estimate how much, um, how many items I have, how many robo vacuum cleaners I'm trying to bring back to Australia. Um, and, uh, so it was, it was pretty surreal. And then, and then getting back here, you know, doing lockdown or quarantine, um, in Sydney for mandatory quarantine for 14 days, you know, there's a lot of stuff about that on the news and it is as bad as it sounds. Um, and even explaining to my daughter who, you know, when she left, she was, she was two 
and we went to the UK, lived there. So it was like three or four years away. She doesn't remember Australia and she's only ever sort of seen photos. And so as soon as we get off the plane and we walk out of the hotel, there's the army standing there, you know, ushering us onto a bus. And I had to sort of pull her aside, grab her and say, it's okay, like these people are here to help. And um, it was a good timing because I dropped all the bags all over the ground and they did come and help. Um, so it was sort of it wasn't staged even it wasn't even staged it was good and and um, it was it was very difficult to get back you know the Australian Prime Minister was telling everyone that we should have left the minute the outbreak happened but that's not possible when you've got jobs you've got houses you've got cars you've got a life and you've got to get your life back and um, it's it's hard work moving countries doing it during a lockdown is probably even harder than than you could possibly imagine yeah wow but, but and, and I mean, I throughout this, though, I think, you know, as, as again, as as your LinkedIn profile says, you, you are, a, you know, you are a tech evangelist. And I think during this, you know, technology in many ways was, was you know, your lifeline yeah. um, to the outside world, to colleagues, to, to clients, to partners. And, and certainly, you know, I, amongst others, were, were following vigorously and, and, and religiously your LinkedIn updates, for example, from from lockdowns and 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 some pretty pretty awful i don't know but did you even have a balcony where i did i had a balcony so that we we were lucky we got a two-bedroom apartment but you know we got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old oh gosh maybe she was six and eight who knows anyway they were young kids and um they were six and eight at the time and uh anyway we 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 had a small little apartment and um unfortunately we were on the side of the building in sydney that didn't get sun but at 11 47 every day the sun would just creep through the balcony and I'd get about 16 minutes of sun. And so I'd rest my face on the edge of the glass, like that famous Paul Kelly song, um, press my face against the glass and watch the white lines rushing past from St Kilda to King's Cross, which is, you know, anyway, um, mm-hmm. certainly digress. But then I put my head on the edge of the thing and I got 17 minutes of sun. And, um, and you know what drove me nuts actually is when we opened our door after about four or five days and you, you're only allowed to, you're not allowed out of your room, but you open the door just to put the trash out or, the, or your rubbish. And um, so I'm still talking American. And I put the, the rubbish out in the hallway. And as I opened the door, the neighbor opened their door on the other side of the hallway. And I was like, whoa, human. Hi, human. Uh, yeah. I'm Dave. <laughs> I'm, I'm your neighbor. And it was kind of like this sort of surreal moment. And um, as I, I really wanted to be nice to this guy, but... As I looked through his door, I saw his apartment filled with sun. And I just went, oh, gosh, what? If I had got, and then it, if I had got off the bus just that little bit earlier, hmm. just one step in front of him, I would have had the sun-filled apartment and life would have been a lot sweeter. But then I wouldn't have had anything to update on LinkedIn, would I? Yeah, yeah. And, and you wouldn't remember. your great ring lights instead to get perfect lighting. Exactly. <laughs> In a light-controlled environment. Oh. Wow. Well, you're very courageous. Um, and, I mean, you're kind of broadcasting one of the things here, which is one of, I know, one of your passions, which is, of course, music. And, and having having uh, attended and, and spoken at a couple of Dynatrace conferences, first up we met in Barcelona in 2019. It feels about a decade ago now. Yeah given all the change that's been compressed into a, you know, a single year, but then also Dynatrace Go Asia Pack earlier this year, um, where I had the privilege, and, and, and you have to just tell the listeners and the viewers a little bit about this, um, where, of course, your music interests come out, given uh, Dynatrace's uh, perspective uh, and, I guess, position in the marketplace um, 
where for every breath you make and every step you yeah. take, um, someone's I'll be watching, watching you. I'll be watching you, indeed. <laughs> I um. Can we get a little preview? You don't have to sing necessarily. I mean, feel free to if if you like to. Oh, but, um, I could strum a few chords maybe after and see how we go. But I don't, yeah. I don't know if I want to subject everyone to it. It's Oh, it's one of these ones that I love music and I've always loved it as a, such a good release. And I always for a long time separated music from business. I was always just like, no, don't let people know that you're a musician on the side. It's just not, I don't know, it just seemed sort of weird. And you sort of had this corporate persona and then you had this music persona. And after a while, I probably just got to the point where I was just like, you know what, actually, particularly in the industry, I'm in tech industry, there are so many musicians and um, we, we were lucky at a sales kickoff actually to have a whole heap of musicians get together and really sort of egg us on to play a song. And they were saying, I just started mucking around. And we used to always do this actually on a Friday, separate note. It was sort of like with our team, like our brand creative team, we'd sit around and have a couple of, couple of beers or gin and tonics and, and laugh about things. And we'd often come up with creative ideas. And at one point I was like, I'm going to play this song. And I always thought Sting song every, you know, I'll be watching you. I always thought that was kind of had its creepy elements. And um, I guess in what Dynatrace does is, you know, we do, we monitor applications, but we also monitor every user experience. And we joke around this every click, every tap, every swipe. And so it's like, um, be watching you. So it's like every click you take, every swipe you make, every, oh gosh, I can't remember. I'll be watching you, every line of code, every database, every I'll be watching you. So it goes on and on and um. I get in the flow. But yeah, I did that at a conference. Actually, we started it with Full Stack Baby. So we're mucking around and we did a parody of Vanilla Ice and we wrote that. And then we were like, this would be really funny to open up the conference. And it was one of those ones that, you know, when you get together with friends and you maybe have a few drinks and you go, I'm going to do this. And then the next day you wake up and go, that was such a silly idea. We didn't really wake up. We kind of just kept going with it. And then we turned up to the conference in Vegas and we're like, are we really doing this? And we're like, yeah, we're going to do it. And so we did this full, I did this full rap. And thankfully everyone in the Dinosaurs community is very like supportive of my um, outlandish and somewhat unorthodox uh, presenting. And I just love the idea of having fun. You know, like mm. you're going to get up there and you're going to present all this serious stuff. Like you've been up and presented and, it's very thought provoking. There's a lot of stuff about, yeah, I need to focus on customer experience and let the machines do the work. And, and I'm just, I'm from Perth. I'm not that smart. And I just go, you know, there's going to be smart people on stage. I've got to like bring my props and my music and <laughs> just make people laugh. And then they'll remember that and they'll have a good time. And then maybe I can get a key message in there and they'll take something away with them. So yeah, well, I did a couple yeah, of songs key, and it, key we went messages right. and, and and a chorus. I mean, yeah. what, what what better positioning could you get than having a song, you know? Well, you know the thing that was at a particular cadence in people's minds as they walk away, right? I just didn't think we did this full stack song, right? So it was like, you know, and my daughter still sings it. It's like, you know, all right, stop, automate and listen. Dynatrace with a brand new edition. Smartscape knows all that it can be. Picking up dependencies all automatically. You can see how it like has this flow. It sort of works, right? And so I don't know if we'll ever be able to get one as good as that or every, every click you take, but everyone loved it. And so the second day I was like, you know what? I should open up with the other song, which we weren't going to do. And we work with, um, and you've met Claire as well. She's like our stage producer for the event. And I have this running joke that every time she says no to me doing something, I do it because I know it's going to be good if, I, if she says no. And I said, so tomorrow I'm going to open up with the guitar and just play this song. What do you think? And she goes, no. And like Josh, our brand director is like, yes. And I'm like, yep, definitely doing it. And so we did it and it went really well. It was really good fun. And 
The hardest thing about that though was I had to go from playing the guitar and sort of fun and then transition into a presentation. And I was like, how am I going to do that? How do you switch from the music and whatever and go straight into like, you guys have got one of the most important jobs of the world. You're running these applications. You need to focus on, you know, less time on troubleshooting, more time on innovation, blah, blah, blah. And I just was like, well, there's no choice. When I finish my song, I just got to put the guitar down. I got to stand up, walk out and away we go. And it was amazing how you could hear a pin drop and you take people on this bit of a journey. They really tune in and they really listen. And it relaxed me. By the time I was presenting, I was having the best time. And so I think it was one of my better presentations. So I encourage you, Anders, next time you go to present, rap, song, sing. Collaborate and listen, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I will, I will do my best. I, I feel like I'm kind of born without a, a, a music bone in my body. Um, sadly, I, I mean, I sort of, I, you know, uh, my family were great in other respects, but uh, there was no instruments at home and my, neither of my parents have, have ever played an instrument. So it was just, I kind of just, you know, migrated towards sports, I guess, sports okay. and academia and sort of, you know leadership interest i think partly through my sort of dad's military you know leadership um journey i became interested in that that so that's where you get things. the but yeah but you I, wrote love, a book. I love listening to music so you wrote a book right so that's where you i spend all the time mucking around playing music and drinking beer and like not making much of myself and you were astute studied and then you're able to write a book as a result so i would never be able to write a book i wrote an album but it's a bit mm. different to to actually you know, having the concentration to, to finish a, a book. How long did it take you out of interest? Well, actually, the, there were a few different ones, right? So I've, I've done So you've done three, more than one book. Three, well, there's three now. Um, I think you've, you're tuned into one, uh, which is yep. Seamless. Um, that one was like a little bit of a, I mean, they've all been labors of love. I, th I think that's the, the essence of sort of creativity when it comes to writing. Everyone who kind of goes, oh, I've got writer's block and all this Um I think writer's block is kind of a blessing until you sort of, you know, pour your heart out and, and just bleed onto paper. I think that's that's oftentimes what sort of breaks the, the writer's blockage. But Seamless took me a good year to write. But yeah. prior to that, I'd written Digilog um, in 2013. And that was really, I wrote it over my summer holidays, Australian summer holidays in 2012, wow. beginning of 2013. Um that was just that just poured out super easily. It was a bit of writer's block around the edits, etc. And then uh, prior to that, I wrote a book called Think Funky back in two thousand and nine, um, and that was about a six month affair. So I've sort of gone between the you know the two months and the you know the sort of roughly twelve month uh, sort impressive. of project. Very yeah. impressive. I'm very jealous. I would love, would love to be able to write a book. I guess I need a topic. <laughs> Right on. Well, I, I, I think, you know, creatively, and again, you know, we're, we are in this context of the second renaissance, right, of the flourishing yeah. of, of human creativity. I, I do think that when, you know, when there's ideas and thoughts and, you know, memes or, or rhymes, you know, when, when there is a, you know, a clarity of an idea, then you can actually build upon that. So, yeah. you know, with each of my chapters, I mean, speaking about, you know, creativity within constraints and even, you know, disciplined i guess creativity once you've got a meme or or, or or a thought like you know 
Texas is bigger than France, you know, a bumper sticker statement, right? <laughs> you, you know, technology has become our lifeline would be, you know, a statement. And then you can actually build out, you know, entire, you know, songs or, yeah. you know, chapters or even books based upon that concept. So um, I think what you have is, you know, you've got the clarity of idea, then you've just probably got to back into it. <laughs> yeah. But who knows, maybe there's a future collaboration there at some, at some stage, Dave, you know. I'll, you I'll know. come up with the ideas and then you write the reasons why yeah, the, the yeah, idea is exactly. a good one. We'll make good. a good Swedish dance troupe or something like that. And Eurovision, we could we give it a nudge. Yeah, well, that, you know, again, very structured approach, right, of how schlager, uh, as we call it in Sweden, should sound. Uh, and, there, you know, there's even creativity with the constraints there in terms of the duration of the songs and the yep. chorus, etc. I mean, there's musicians that have studied this much more closely than I have, right? So Three minutes 30, I think. This is what a, what a, what a layperson uh, understands of, um, you know, Eurovision at least. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious just in tuning in here. Yeah. I mean, we, we often talk talk about, you know, the left brain and the right brain. And certainly in, in your context of of technology, IT, and, and, and many of Dynatrace's customers and partners being, you know, engineers and, you know, cyber defenders, etc., um, certainly some might over-index a little bit more in that sort of, you know, left brain thinking of, you know, sciences, technology, engineering yep. and maths, you know, logic, computational power in terms of their thinking. You know, the right brain oftentimes gets heralded as, you know, the, the creative, the innovative, the entrepreneurial, you know, the emotionally attuned. Um, you spoke about before that, you know, music and, and technology kind of blend and that there's this sort of subculture within the tech space uh, of people who, who kind of master both. Or is mm-hmm. it that music, do you, you think, is actually kind of more left brain than, than right brain? Or how do the two complement each other? Have you got any, any riffs really or good, thoughts on yeah, that? It's a really interesting thought. And it's funny because I've always been very right brain. Like I think even... Well, I did an MBA really young and we had to do one of those Myers-Briggs things and I was like off the scale, like the wrong person to be doing an MBA. Basically, you're not going to listen to a single word any of the lecturers say because you're going to be like out the window dreaming up all sorts of different things. And um, and the lecturer was like, pulled me aside and said, why are you doing this? This this is not the right course for you. And I'm like, is it? Or is this the right course for me? Like, is this actually going to help center me versus then send me even further right? So... So it did, in fact, you know, really help me shift left, which is something that we say in in uh, IT world for for DevOps for a different reason. But help me shift my brain a little more to be to be a little more left brain. And it's funny when you deal with like I deal with a lot of engineers a lot of the time in 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 the work that I do, and they can be very introverted and they can be very left brain and very process orientated but at the same time they're actually very creative and I, and as I was saying there's a lot of people that are musicians and I think it's it's both and it can be both it's like how you tap into music whether you study and you structure and you record progressions and you know where to go or if you're the art type person it's sort of like when you approach a painting do you need a painting in front of you in order to draw and sketch it or do you just throw stuff and do abstract things at, at, a, at a paintboard? And so I just think everyone's different. And I think, you know, it, as part of the work that we do, it's interesting dealing with people because, you know, we talked before about like what does AI do for people? What's it going to enable them to do? And, and a lot of what I'm doing and have been doing recently is marketing why AI is going to free you up from doing the really mundane stuff so you can do more interesting stuff. And, 
And it's funny because when you first started doing it, it was like, do these people want to be freed up? Do they actually want to be there, left brain, stuck in code, troubleshooting, finding stuff? And I think people go into technology because they like troubleshooting. They actually like trying to solve problems. And Which I is think a cr creative pursuit, right? It's creative. That's yeah. It's a creative thing. It's like, we have an issue with a server. I'm going to go and figure out what's wrong with that server and I'm going to restart the server and I maybe I need to upgrade the software and I need to do this, I need to do that. And it's, it's a constant and technology is constant. And so it's, it's interesting that through AI now, I think these people and the more I talk to these people, they have more opportunities to do things that interest them because they're freed up from the really mundane, run-of-the-mill, regular tasks that they can do more interesting problem solving that makes more impact on a business. And um, so I think they're, they're one and two, you know, I just think humans. Yeah, so just, I was gonna ask about your intuition on this. So is yeah. this, you know, the, there is this traditional, and you know, we use the, the Herman brain dominance model or instrument a lot in our consulting and, and mapping of organizational cultures and how they set up potentially for diversity and innovation through diversity. Do you think, I mean, just intuitively that there's, uh, there's no such thing as sort of the, the black and whiteness in a sense of, you know, left brain versus right brain or that, you know, any part of the brain can be creative. Uh, you've alluded to music before and musicians who are very, very abstract and kind of just go with the flow and people who are very, you know, and maybe very structured in, 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 in artistry and paintings, for example. What's your, what's your sense? I think it's, I, I do think there is an element of like, to some extent, a left brain, right brain, and people do, you know, gravitate towards, look within a marketing department where I work, there's the marketing operations people, and then there's the creative people like in the brand team. And as a joke, I used to sit them next to each other. And, and I did it deliberately so I could watch and see what would happen. It was almost like a, a social experiment. And you know what? The operations team loved it. They loved it because they used to be the team that got put over in the far corner, be quiet, don't talk because they're using Excel spreadsheets and it's really complicated and they're down to seven lines. But when you actually get talking to those people, they're just a little quieter and they're very process orientated, but they're just people. And everyone is interesting in any form. That's what I feel anyway. And so I don't think there's a left and a right. I think there's just different scales of of people. And, and really the key and the success of teams is you have different people coming together to do things for an outcome. It's the same. You mentioned sport. The people that play fullback are different to people that play full forward or, or forward or whatever, you know, and because they're faster. We, we, or they, we're using AFL metaphors here. AFL, you know, you could do hockey, whatever. I used to play hockey, soccer, yeah. but any sport, you know, there's always a special goalkeeper. doesn't matter which sport you're in. It's either the fullback or the goalkeeper. And, and there's special. always a creative Maradona who's outside always... of all boundaries. Yeah. What, did, what, what position did you play out of interest? Uh, Were you the creative? Well, I played, so I played soccer. Um, I was normally a number six. So I guess that's, you know, defensive midfielder was probably yeah. where I um, were at my career peaked which i ended prematurely but yeah though i think that was my tall big you know fairly fairly skilled with the feet at the same time physically dominant number so six. i have this i have this theory and i was watching the afl and i know this was separate but i have this theory that all of the coaches all the successful coaches over time have always been defenders they were never the flamboyant forwards so i don't know what that means in the scheme of things but um, yeah, anyway, I don't, I don't think, I think the most important thing in a company or in a team is just the dynamics. It's just relationships, trust, confidence, autonomy for people to do 
what they feel is worthwhile work and they feel rewarded in what they do. And if they feel rewarded, they bring their brain to work. They're engaged, they're motivated. And, um, and I think that's critical. And it's, you know, we were, it's hard at the moment. It's really, really hard. Like I'm getting on calls and I'm seeing people just feeling flat, looking flat because they're just too much technology, Zoom, not enough interaction, not enough chat, not enough interpersonal communication. And for some people, they like it, but um, mm. for others... Let, uh, let's yeah. drill deeper into that for a moment. Mm. So technology has been our lifeline during 2020. And at the same time, I'm getting the sense here that, that you know, people are also exhausted, right? Yep. Um, what's, you know, what's the magic in terms of, you know, creating or even maintaining, sustaining or, or you know, launching from scratch a, a creative culture within an organization when it's, you know, basically just been remote through 2020? It's, I find, it, you know, I posted on LinkedIn and I said, because I was feeling personally uncreative, I was feeling like I struggled and and I miss the interpersonal communication and I bounce creative ideas off people. That's the type of person that I am where I'm, I need to, you know, run it through a couple of people and then you're like Claire and she says no. And I, so I go, yes. But um, so, so there's those sort of things. And I think, you know, I posted on LinkedIn and I said, is everyone else feeling like the remote, remote work is impacting creativity? And a lot of people, the first people that all responded all said, no, I actually think I'm getting more as I work from home more creative work done. And then over time, as the week went on, it sort of came back to like a 50-50, 60-40 type split. So everyone was pretty much on the fence. There are companies that are have always been remote and they probably figure out ways to be creative. There are companies that um, have transitioned now to working remote and maybe that's the, the part that I'm struggling with a little bit, whereas like I actually liked being in and around a team, therefore transitioning to pure zoom is is harder for me there are others that find it really easy um there are tools available we're actually in the process of evaluating a couple of new tools that we can use in order to help the creativity because the hardest thing is visual i'm visual i gotta see it right and so every time i'm in a meeting i get up and i write on a whiteboard and i draw and i do things and others draw and we all sort of play that way and as long as you've got the tools available to do that even if it's virtually it's actually okay um and you're just going to learn to deal with it. But I, but I still, I still am going to miss people. And, you know, in terms of building culture, it's funny, a long time ago, I used to work for HP and they sent everyone home to work remote. And then they got to the point where they were like, we don't have a culture. We don't have productivity. We're suffering. We're going to now bring everyone back. And so companies have done this pendulum over a long period of time. And it's an interesting place for us all to be now where we're all probably, and a lot of the big companies are now going, we're going remote. It'd be really interesting to see what happens to the culture. I'm worried about it. Yeah. And I guess, you know, as you, as you point out, I mean, some companies and some cultures are, are, are fully creative um, and have been so for a while. And maybe that can be sustained through the, you know, the digital interface for, for a while. But, you know, that there's also, you know, there's cultural codes and there's, you know, immersive onboarding projects. You know, there's, you know, there's mentoring, training and development. There's, you know, that connection with, 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 with humans and building of rapport that I think is lacking. So even though, you know, the likes of Twitter and Facebook, et cetera, are sort of going, hey, you can work, you know, from home forever. Well, you know, what does that mean in terms of you go through an induction process with someone that's never met anybody else in their teams? 
and do, and do you and do you think you know generationally that's going to matter as you know gen zeds and and gen alpha come into the workplace or is it just us old fuddy duddies that uh, <laughs> think that there's value in the in the in their face to face i mean there's a reason why people i i mean i just go back to the simplicity of like where we started as humans and we gathered around a fire and tell stories and and i think naturally people want to belong and they need proximity to each other they need to be able to see body language they need about an eyeball they might need a hug. They, you know, that I just think, you know, and there's a reason why sometimes you say, look, I just can't wait to catch up and, and have it. Like, you know, I went out the other night and, and caught up with a couple of, of my friends um, and, and work colleagues and we just wanted to catch up and have a beer and have a wine together. We just wanted that interaction. We wanted to laugh and, and you just, virtual will never, it will never do it. And, and I think there are things that you can do to try and bridge the gap, but it's just funny, like, again, you know, working at HP for such a long period of time, it took me three years probably to build a relationship with people that I do in three days when you're face-to-face with them. So uh, there, there'll definitely be crash courses in, like, trying to get people to open up and understand who they are as individuals. You started by talking to me about music and things like that. That's something that I'm passionate about, and obviously we've had a rapport because we've met with each other, but... I don't think our relationship would be the same if we didn't catch up in Barcelona and met each other face to face and and um, see, you know, I personally got to see how well you dressed and it made me feel inferior. So I put a sock in my pocket to make it look like a <laughs> cavat or whatever they're called. That was a, that was a great, and, and for those of you who don't know, uh, I tend to sometimes wear a... Um, Dress nicely. There you go wear a, a little pocket square in, in, in my jacket and I'll, I'm damaged from growing up in a menswear uh, family or family business in Stockholm, Sweden. So my mum still dresses me. But um, uh, yeah, you did literally put a sock in it. So I, I did put a sock in it because I, <laughs> and I had a jacket, I found a jacket and I put a sock in it because I just felt like I needed to dress up a little bit because I couldn't come on the stage the next day after you'd been all, and I was in, it was Europe, right? And the Europeans are like, they are slick and I just forgot it's this, this silly kid from Australia again from Perth turning up in his board shorts and t-shirt and like so that was my attempt I put a sock in it like quite literally yeah yeah and I stick out like a sore thumb when I walk around the beach here because I'm always constantly <laughs> overdressed so Nicole's like take those sandals off <laughs> they're from Milan they're not for the Aussie beach as long as you're not wearing socks with them, I'm all right with it. Yeah, that would be a very, very Swedish uh, look, by the way. Uh, my dad might be guilty of that. So I, th- I think here, though, you, I mean, you point towards something interesting, too, which is, you know, I think what I'm hearing as well is that your role in some ways is as this sort of translational bridge um, in some ways. I mean, you, you, like, as you said, and we, we'll, we'll, we'll tune into this a little bit as well, but... Um, between the you know the the left brain and the and the right brain and someone who can translate what you guys do at Dynatrace and actually tell a really humane story about it, um, yep. you know whether it's through music or just in in terms of metaphor, because not everyone speaks technology or IT or artificial intelligence natively. Yep. Um, is that something that you enjoy doing or is yeah. it just something that, you know, as a, as a tech evangelist, you know, even the term sort of proposes that, you know, you, you're, you're, you're teaching people that maybe are also like non-digitally native to understand that, you know, there's a need to invest in some of these technologies. Yeah. Um, you know, there's storytelling there to bring that alive. There's, How do you think of that? Role? I love the stories and I, I think everyone, 
I think everyone wants to make a difference in what they do. I don't think you wake up and go like, I, t- I just want to be completely mediocre and useless and don't aspire to anything. I think everyone actually wants to feel good about what they do. And I think I didn't wake up one day and go, you know what I want to do when I get older? I really want to work for a B2B IT software company and market to uh, IT people that don't like marketing. Uh, that was like my dream when I was a kid. And um, somehow I found myself in it but there is always a beauty in actually doing that because what do these people care about? And I think in your storytelling, whether it's on stage and you're presenting, what do these people want? Do they want to hear music? Do they want to be lightened up? Do they want to have some fun? Do they want to get serious? And so for these people, when I'm marketing a product, I do, I really think about like, what is it? What is it that we're really doing that's really making a difference either in the world or to these individuals. And so when at my time at Dynatrace, where, where I'm still am enjoying, I did both. I did a vision for Dynatrace, which was the world needs software to work perfectly because ultimately we do. And, you know, it's everything that we do every day, um, even doing this sort of podcast or whatever that might be. Um, but then there's also the individual behind the software that, that's running the software. And what do they do? What do they? And I always start my presentations with these people of like, you have the most important job in the world. Because you have to run all these applications that make all of this world work. And it's a personal level. And then you do it, dive deeper. And it's funny when you chat to these customers. I love the story. I love doing customer stories. And I always say, it'll be 45 minutes before I get the gold nugget out of you as to what you're actually going to... Because eventually you're going to start out with like, yeah, the software does this, it does this, it does this, it does this, it does this. But you know this one thing and then eventually they get to the point, which is taking me a long time to get to the point too. But... Well, there you go. I mean, it's the last five minutes of any session, you know, for a 50 minute session with my psychologist, I would know, you know, the gold is in those last five minutes. So maybe this is the equivalent role you have to kind of draw it out from your customer stories. It's like, you know, business psychology here. Yeah. What are, what are yeah. some of those gold nuggets that you, that you've heard in terms of how, how, how the solution, how technology can make a difference to people's people's lives. Yeah, so so I mean, so what Dynatrace does is it it monitors applications and tells you if there's an issue with performance of these applications. And and the story goes that most of the time people would sit there and they'd be troubleshooting. And and I've heard lots of great stories over my time, but um, one in particular was a was a, a system en- engineer that works for Kroger, largest supermarket in um in the US. And he said he lost a whole year of his daughter's life because he was working 70, 80 hours a week. He was stressed when he went to work because there were issues with the applications all the time, finger pointing at him. He had to try and resolve the issues. There was pressure and he just felt like he said he had issues in his relationship as, as a result. And he said the AI was able to come in and automate a lot of what he was doing manually and give him answers. And the answers gave him confidence gave him his life back. He said he's a better dad as a result. Um, gave him like better teamwork, more fulfilled. And and I think that for me, like that, then I'm like really proud of working at Dynatrace. If that's changing someone's life for the better. Um, and I always, when I do these things, I'm like, is that just one off? Is that a fluke? So I ask around and I'm like, it's not a one off. Like there was another uh, gentleman, Mark Kaplan, who was one of the first people to use the new Dynatrace platform. He had said the same thing. He goes, the AI gives me an extra hour in the morning to spend with my kids. And I'm just like, like th- that's irreplaceable. Like you can work as much as you want, as long hours, but if the machines can actually 
do the mundane so that you can spend more time with your daughter and also when you're spending time with the kids, you're a better person because you're more confident and you're more fulfilled in your work, then that is not just a product. It's It becomes something that's just like, I don't know, it's really powerful. And that, that's the part that I get personal satisfaction out of telling the stories. And there are a lot of those types of stories. And, and, I, and I like telling those stories, you know, like the, the guys at U-Haul that said, we don't have to get up at three in the morning anymore because, you know, the system's taking care of itself. And so I love that angle. And everyone likes the personal angle. Was, what will that mean for me? Can I go home earlier as well? Can I get a better work-life balance? Can I enjoy my job more? Great. And so, so that's, the, that's the part for me that gets me very excited and, and I like to tell those stories. And there's a lot of them. Every time I talk to the customers, they, they dig out another little gold nugget for me that, um, that I can leverage. And, uh, and I love that. It makes, it makes also my job great because I now know that, you know, and, and our engineers that build the software, they love it too because they're like, we've got a purpose. We're helping people have a better life as a result. It's not just to do their job. It's actually helping them, you know, um, feel more fulfilled and happier in, in their work. And I always ask, does the software make your team happier when I ask senior management? They're like, undoubtedly. They're like, they're such a happier team. They're more productive. They're more engaged. And you're like, wow, this yeah. is cool. We can probably think of a lot of software that doesn't make humans <laughs> happier. So there is a lot. There's and upside here. There is. It's funny. You know, you started earlier and you talked about US versus Australia and that's one thing that I have noticed in sort of coming back is our banking technology in Australia is phenomenal compared to like the US, but our e-commerce is horrible. Like it's the amount of times I'm sitting there watching websites spin or carts spin around in circles and the click and collect and the deliveries. And, you know, we joked around before about it. We've got the most aggressive delivery drivers on the planet. They like want to ring the doorbell 50,000 times. So you come and get it. Whereas the US, they've like got a culture of like, yeah, order it in the morning and be there in the afternoon and we'll leave it by the front door. So yeah, there's a lot to be done. Mm. Software's complex. So it's a, it's a big market for Dynatrace to go and help people, you know, and uh, but also for us humans to, to, for our own sanity, spend less time. No one likes doing tax returns. No one likes logging on and doing insurance things and stuff like that. Banking, the faster that done, the easier it works, the better for everyone. So there's sort of this... I mean, human centricity to, and that, that sounds like a naff kind of statement, but human centricity to, to the technology. Um, and everyone's claiming to be human centric. But when you, you know, when you hear stories like that, it's, it's, it's easy to empathize with, with, you know, with the end users of the technology. Uh, well, how, do you, how do you position all of this to, you know, the, the buyers or the, you know, the CTO or the CIO or the CFO or who, whoever makes the call? Because, you know, they, they might go, oh, yeah, it's nice that, you know, Mark Kaplan gets to, to go home earlier. And, and yeah you know, we, we do want work-life balance, but we also want, you know, profitable companies. How, how do you, how do you kind of position the, the, the technology and some of, some of the solutions in a, in a human centric way that, that speaks the language of shareholders or whatever else that happens to be? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the easiest thing is, and, and what, what they did, uh, it's easy at Dynatrace to some extent, and it sounds a little bit arrogant, but the software's a little bit ahead of its time. Like it's, it does have a, very unique value proposition it works a lot better it's easier to use it's smarter it's intelligent okay that's all the marketing stuff and and but you genuinely do believe it when you talk to the customers 
when you talk to a CTO or senior management or anything like that, I mean, really for them, they're, they're, and when you, the, these guys used to be maybe technologists and they've become managers or they've become leaders of an organization. And what does every leader want? You talk to every leader. I talk to like Bernd Greifenader at Dynatrace, who's the CTO. He barely touches the tech anymore. All he's focused on actually is recruiting good people and retaining good people and ensuring that they're productive. And if your software, which Dynatrace is able to do, can do that, it can free people up to do more interesting things. It can help them transform their time business faster. It can give them the technology team more influence and more input over the actual business outcomes. They can go to market faster. I mean, all these things that I'm saying sounds a little markety, sounds a little fluffy, but it's genuine and it's, it's going to make people happier as part of their work. And this is actually what is going on. So you talk to senior leadership and you say, this is what it's going to be able to do for you. They're like, bullcrap. It's probably the first thing. <laughs> and the second one is like, try it and see for yourself. And then when they do see it and they, you'll have one person say, this is the best HR recruit, uh, retainment software we've ever had. I go, what are you talking about? We're not an HR. And he said, no, because everyone loves using it so much that we retain our staff as a result because technologists like anyone, anyone loves using the best software. Do you want to use the latest version of like your, you know, do you want to go back to Spotify and use a 10 year old version of Spotify, even if that exists, or do you want to use the latest version? It's, it's probably a bad analogy, but you get what I'm saying. Um, and so it's, it's best in class. So mm. I, I market to them what others say and, and, and tell the stories that way. And, th and at one point I was like, when I was running the website, I put that on the front page of the website. Hear it from the other customers. Don't hear it from us because every vendor will tell you the same thing. So hear what other customers have to say about it. And it's that storytelling again that's the most powerful. Mm. And as Brené Brown says that, you know, data is, um, data is a story with numbers, I believe. Is that what she says? I have to, I have to oh, remind that's... myself now. Stories are data with a soul. I got it back to front. Stories are data with a soul. So data points with a soul. Interesting. And something yeah. that can, you know, touch the heart, the, the, yeah. you know, the, 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 the hearts and minds of, of decision so makers or, or, or users. So I have to point out that you ended up in HR anyway. I know you were, you were trying to resist that for a little <laughs> while, but, you know, you're actually in, in, in human resources. Well, I mean, I'm a sports guy like you. I, I grew up wanting to be motivated, wanting to be productive, wanting to be happy. I've used team analogies all the time of sport and I think any software that helps you go faster, that makes you happier, that it, it's great. And, and it also brings more teams together. So yeah, maybe I did end up in HR, not traditional HR, more like people development um, in some regards. Because you got some advice, right? Which was when you were doing oh, your yeah. MBA, <laughs> that I HR might not be the thing for you. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, I love, I, I love, I mean, I'm a very big people person. And you can tell that when I go, when I go out to the pub, I'm not the sort of person that's going to be quiet. And I, you know, people go, oh, you're one of these people that walks into a party. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I love walking into a party. I like listening to stories. I like telling stories. I like joking. I like, I just love it. I love, I love hanging out with people. And, um, and uh, so I thought pretty early on, I was like, well, human resources. And I read all these books on like strategic leaders and, and all these people and I was like, well, I want to define cultural values. I want to define visions and values and make people productive. I want to work in HR. And uh, my HR lecturer was like, no, Dave, if you want to work in HR, that's the, if you want to do that, 
that's the opposite of HR. Actually, HR is all about like legal and ring fencing and litigation and controlling. And I'm like, what? What? And I probably could have made a name for myself back then because I could have yeah. flipped the whole thing around because I actually yeah. think it has gone full circle. HR but, is a misnomer, yeah. Yeah, because people are the best resources you're going to have, right? You still need, even if the machines are doing all the work, you still have to have a human that applies some form of thinking towards it and makes use of it. Even if it's like, you know, they say, oh, you don't need as many people to do it, but you still need people. They still have to apply that creative thinking. And so, yeah, I didn't, thankfully I didn't go into HR and, and she did say to me very early on, she's like, Dave, if you don't go into marketing, then there's something quite wrong with you. Although my marketing at, in, during my MBA was my worst score. So I think it's, you know, I didn't really like the lecturer, to be honest. You, you've made up for it since. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, I think the piece of advice you were given, and, and apologies for sharing this so voluntarily here, uh, is that, you know, people people don't work in HR, they work in marketing, right? Yeah. We're all in marketing. They, they say we're all in sales, but we're mm. all in marketing. We're all like, yeah, I, I think anyway. I'm, it, <sighs> Yeah. I don't know. I just think people are essential to business and we don't live on this planet for very long. You want to be as happy as you can. And, you know, I can't wait for my robo vacuum to be here because that's going to make me happier for the half an hour or 45 minutes. It, it uh, might give gonna... you some time back with your with your loved ones and with and your kids. Spend more time with my kids, spend more time playing music. Yeah. Writing the next please, song. Please for don't when we... spend too much time cutting up those, you know, live stream videos and editing them into really cool, you know. Robo marketing. My robo vacuum have that. Of content. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, p people sometimes say, hey, uh, AI, you know, yes, you know, it's going to, it's going to take out and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer of this, you know, yeah. it will, you know, help us and free us up to do less of the mundane and do more of the humane and, and help yeah. us do less of the menial and do more of the meaningful. Are there any are there any dangers with you know people go oh breakout and you know um, ex machina type scenarios yeah. whether you know whether AI breaks out of the box um, where it you know replaces you know humans etc. Like what what would you say to that to that story? Is there any merit to it or is it science fiction or or is it more of an augmentation story? I think that it, I don't want to believe that there's. There's uh, the possibility of, of the machines crushing us like ants. I think it would be silly to think that it could, it, it, it will, uh, sorry, it would, I would be silly to think that it can't happen. Because if you think about how much we've progressed from a technology standpoint in the last 10 years, the next 10 and the 10 after that, it's like quantum leaps every time. And I do think we will get to a point where we will have to make moral decisions about what machines can and can't do. And um, I read this book, I uh, can't remember what it's called, it's by a guy called Martin Ford. Um, and he, I think it's called The Machines Are Coming or something like that, maybe, I don't know. But it's a very interesting book. But um, I only got halfway through it. And that's not because I have an attention deficit disorder where I can't concentrate for long periods of time. because you had to go time. cleaning, yeah. Yeah. Um, I need to check on my robo vacuum, but the seriousness of it was it started to get really depressing and I started to worry about like, well, what is going to happen in the future? What happens if these machines can do all these things? Because ultimately, we probably can program it to do a lot. There's stories of like Facebook shutting down the machine because it started to learn too much. 
you know, what if we don't shut it down? Like, what if they keep coming? So I, I, I do think it's at some point we will get to a point where there'll have to be some form of like United Nations Council for AI that's going to dictate what you can and can't do and how far it can go. And the days of, you know, Watson beating us in chess or Watson crush, crushing us like ants is actually p possible, which is frightening. Um, and then I go back to saying how much I love people. So, um, you know, as much as I'm marketing this AI, I do believe in AI for specific purposes, not a general AI that is going to cause disruption. Um, and it sounds like, you know, coding for humanity and actually coding for more humane outcomes, um, reducing human error are things that are, you know, still core to, you know, your purpose but also dynatrace's yeah. vision in, in my interpretation uh and in my dealings with dynatrace certainly yeah it's very uh, much a focus of like let the machines do the and it's funny we talked to we had steve wozniak on the perform go series uh, the i think he was, he was the follow-up speaker to the main keynote speaker right that's right he was on with you um and and there was also i interviewed mark randolph who's the co um co-founder of Netflix too. And he was very interesting. He was all about an idea leads to an idea that leads to an idea that leads to an idea and it leads to an idea, right? But uh, Wozniak was big on um, on uh, on the idea of the machine doing the work so we can do more creative type work and why he originally founded Apple and stuff like that. And key message for him again is like, same thing of what we're doing with Dynatrace really is like, take out the boring, the mundane, the like, you know, our CTO will often use an analogy of like people probably never liked packing boxes in a warehouse. They probably never liked screwing the wheels on the car. That they like designing the car. They probably like talking to people as they sell the car. They like servicing the car, but they probably don't like doing mundane repetition work of screwing wheels all day, every day for their entire existence. And that's fundamentally what Dynatrace is doing. It's taking the mundane of like staring at charts and going dip, restart, redo, dip, restart, redo. And and taking that mundane stuff out so you can start thinking up things of like, wow, we've got lots of new bookings coming in from this particular area. We should think about going into that area. Customer experience is bad here. You get my drift. So I'm just thinking, I mean, we're, we're kind of into the, the last innings here or the, the final quarter, as you would call it, in, in, in Perth, in AFL language. Yeah. Um, although I think the timings of an AFL match keep changing all the time. Um, they do. In it's COVID kind of times weird. anyway. I don't get why just because we had a lockdown that they had to shorten the quarters. No one ever explained that to me. There you like go. People aren't more tired know, maybe, maybe because of the virus. Maybe been putting on the COVID kilos or something, you know? Possibly, possibly. <laughs> but I, I wanted to just kind of leave us with, with this thought then. So, you know, technology helps liberate us, um, you know, so that, you know, our brains are not just focusing on the, on the mundane. Yeah. And we're liberated to sit and think about stuff and create and come up with new, you know, entrepreneurial ideas. Like what ideally would you like us as, you know, either for your kids, you know, your partner, yourself, the next generation as humanity, feel free to take it as big or as, you know, or as local as you want. What should we be spending our, you know, creative firepower on this you know this new dry powder that we have because we're not wasting it on 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 the mundane the first thing we have to do is we might think we're enabling more time for ourselves but it's become a very strong realization of mine and people have been banging on about this for so long but until i was in lockdown i didn't realize it 
we are becoming more and more addicted, like addicted to our phones and, and any technology for that matter. And when you mentioned what should we be doing for kids, it immediately piqued my interest because I listened to a great podcast the other day. I don't, there was an Australian guy talking. It was on the Joe Roden show. And he was basically talking that technology has been developed in a way to make it addictive. Facebook's an endless scroll. Instagram stories just start. You know, TikTok videos just start. And you, we're becoming addicted to the devices. The first thing I would like us to do is to pay conscious attention to what that's doing to us. You know, being able to put the phone down and have conversations with people and step away from the device is, is probably the first thing because that's when you actually can think. At the moment, we're very much... Like, notice what happens when you sit on a couch and you're watching TV and you're just endlessly scrolling through your phone, which I'm sure many of you and lots of us have done, and there might be a sports game on and you have no idea even who's playing. Like, you're just completely out of it. So I think I would like us to consciously think first thing. This is selfish now, actually, but I do do think this. Teach the kids about, the, about how to um, have balance with the devices. Teach people to to go back to playing once we're allowed out, but back to playing sport and being active and being fit. You know, I think as a society, we're getting more obese, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't think it's actually, I don't think there's anything that's amazing. I just think use technology also to help people. Cure viruses, blah, blah. I can't do any of that. But if I was to go and write a book, I would have to turn the Wi-Fi off. So I don't, and I'm the, my own worst enemy, but I, yeah. If I would say anything, I would go actually use the technology to let us do things, but then don't use technology more just because you've used the technology. Hmm. Free yourself from the technology to come up with the ideas, to go play your guitar, to go to the pub, to spend time with people. I think it's, uh, I think it's sage advice. So digitally disconnecting to, to reconnect with ourselves, with our... Yeah. Creative yeah, side, with our intuitions, you know, our unique intelligence and... and with the loved ones around us uh, as well. Yeah, be present. It's so important because when people are on devices and I mean, even when we're doing this, we're like, we've now spent nearly an hour where we haven't picked a device up. We haven't opened a Chrome tab. We haven't done anything but have a conversation with each other. And it's actually really fulfilling and really rewarding. Even if the people listening to this thought this was the worst conversation ever, Anders, I actually think I've really enjoyed it and I'm in a better mood having sat with you and spoken to you for an hour because I feel like we've had this connection and we've chatted and it's made me think of things. Mm. Ditto. Good. I'm glad, and, and I'm glad around. people are viewing this, you know, and just single tasking, not multitasking. That oh, you, can, you, you, can listen, you can listen to this on Spotify or on, or on Google Podcast or you know, whatever it happens to be, or iTunes while you're at the gym. We'll, we'll you know, we will allow That's okay. that. I, I have to remind you to also make sure that we disconnect you from your Peloton because that is technically oh. a screen. <laughs> um, but that's technology for good, right? So I, I actually, it's enabling me. I'm addicted to Peloton and I do it every day like it's a, a ritual and because um, and it, it is a ritual, but it's doing me good and it d helps me disconnect. And I am not connected to anything when I'm in there doing it. I am fully connected to my favorite instructor, Jess Sims, who everyone at work now picks on me because I'm always doing her classes. But I just listen to everything she tells me to do. I run as hard as I can. I sweat. I fall over. 
I, but I'm, it is, it's technology for good, but it also takes me away. And then she says at the end, don't pick up your phone. Don't message people. Savor this 20 minutes or half an hour of this euphoria that you've just had from working out. And it's really good. I just lay on the floor usually because I'm about to pass out. But um, I, and I can't get up, but I will lay on the floor and, and gather my thoughts and go, wow, this is, this is amazing. So not all technology is bad. It's good that you brought that up and, and referenced that because there are good technologies that can help you disconnect. We have like technologies to help us disconnect from technologies. And I, and I think this is the, you know, this is the kind of seamless loop of all of these technologies. They, they're neither good nor bad. It's, you know, how we use them and, 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 and how, how we're able to sometimes disconnect from them or how they're able to, to liberate us. I mean, I have the same thing right on my iPhone. I listen to Sam Harris's meditation podcast and his meditation course is, is all digital, you know. Yep. Uh, but it's actually helping me to become, you know, mindful and, and it reminds me to, you know, even when I'm doing yoga, for example, you know, I go, oh, you know, Sam Harris talked about the same kind of breathing technique. And I'm like, yep. you know, even in yoga, I'm, I am digitally disconnected. Yep. But I learned something through the digital device through Sam Harris, for example, and other people have the mind, you know, various mindfulness apps. So maybe this is the point to kind of, you know, start wrapping things up here in, in the fourth quarter. Um to think about how technology can make our lives better and, and, and to utilize the new time that you or me or Mark Kaplan have had in our lives to not mindlessly scroll through, through Instagram or the like, but actually start applying it to, to some deeper thinking and, and, and some deeper connectivity with, it, with the humans around us. So thank you very much for hanging out here on the, on the Second Renaissance podcast and Thank you for enabling the types of technologies that actually enable, you know, the, the flourishing of human creativity in this, this hopefully early dawn of a new emergent renaissance as well. David, it's been a pleasure having you on, on the show today. Look forward to seeing you and having your beer with you soon. It'd be great to see you in person again, Anders. Cool. And likewise, you've made my afternoon even better by in, engaging in a human dialogue here. So thank you very much for, for that, Dave. Love it. Thanks for having me on the show and thanks for people for listening. Thank you for lending us your ears here at the Second Renaissance. If you like what you have just heard, we'd love you to give it a thumbs up or subscribe to our podcast and your major podcast catches. And of course, if you just want to rave about it to your friends uh, and relatives, feel free to do so as well. We appreciate all of the digital and the analog love you can give to us. We look forward to seeing you next time in the future here at the Second Renaissance. 